Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Runtime Rundown, the show where we read the web dev news so that you don't have to. I'm Joe. Uh, I am a front-end developer. Uh, that's Evan over there. I'm looking at him. We'll hear from him in one minute. This week, we are going to be talking about an article called Why I Won't Use Next.js by Kent C. Dodds. So this is uh, sort of a, a little bit of backlash to all the recent Next.js hype. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. But before we get to that, Evan, how are you doing this week? Wow. That was super tight intro. Woo. Uh, I almost did that while you were talking, but I figured people would be annoyed by me. Um, yes, I am Evan. <laughs> I am also a friend and developer. Uh, we didn't mention that, but uh, both friend and guest. Uh, Joe, I'm doing well this week. I'm. This is our first episode back from the my trip to uh, Italy, which was. Isn't it first episode back since Italy? Yeah, since Italy. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Cool. I got scared. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm now Italian. Grazie mille. That's pretty much all I remember now. Uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic trip. Uh, I feel very Italian. Excellent. That is excellent. Yeah, we, we it actually like pushed off our... So dear listener, I know you've been waiting a long time. Uh, this is going to be like the fourth episode, I think, since uh, after we after we come back officially. Uh, I'm sorry about the whole wait. Um, it's been it's just it's I got to be honest. It's been so nice to have a little bit of breathing room. It was like things were feeling a little confined there for a while. That is no fault of yours, listener. So uh, don't I, I, I didn't mean to imply that, but it uh, feels like we're back on on a roll. So so um, we we're we're set up for you know a number of episodes, maybe the next year, maybe a couple of years, maybe ten years. Who knows? Who knows how long we'll go? Uh, That's right. <laughs> so ten yeah. years of episodes. <laughs> um, no, but we're we're stacked up, ready to go now. Um, it has been it has been a little nice because there's been a lot of change. You know, uh, you you know you've got a new role. That's why we partly took a break. I was. Uh, you know, work was not yeah, easy. Uh, <laughs> so it was nice to take a break during a, what was a heavy delivery cycle for us. And um, yeah, so it's been been kind of nice, but we've, we're ready to get back to it. Speaking of which, we haven't forgotten about our listeners. One of our listeners uh, actually wrote in, which is like, a dream come true that we have a, we have a mailbag entry. So uh, Joe, you want to take this away? I think you said you had like a good idea about how to solve this. I do. Yeah. So this email is from Michael. <clears throat> uh, we've heard from Michael in the past and uh, Michael always has great questions. I feel like I have to, I have to be extra nice to Michael because I think I gave Michael a little bit of guff one time, uh, but Michael, you're great. We really appreciate you. Um, so Michael writes in and he is asking about, uh, Asking about a uh, w basically like what's a what's a uh, good backend for somebody who maybe doesn't have um, a lot of time to devote to learning backend. Let me let me um, let me read this this uh, email. It says, "Hey guys, I hope you're doing well and enjoying your break. Um, starting a job hunt in earnest, trying to break into into the development world." Um, and uh, basically says uh, he wants to build this app, and he's uh, 
he, uh, let's see, it's like a looks like it's like a side project app, and he wants to use it to learn React and TypeScript, which I think is a great idea. I think we've talked about that in the past, like using your own side project to just like learn some new technologies. Um, the problem is trying to decide on the rest of the tech stack. So basically, like what kind of database to use, uh, which database service to use. Um, it's one of those situations where the more research I'm doing, the more confused I'm getting. Because like, yeah, everybody has their own opinions. You go online and you're like, what should I use? And everyone's like telling you to use the the flavor of the day because there's like all these new ones always coming out. So um, I had a uh, my first thought on this, which was just like super base all the way. That's that's my answer is just super base. I have like a little bit more of a complete answer. But the reason I love super base uh, for this kind of thing in particular, this like um, side project where you're already learning something new, you're already learning front end, is that you don't have to deal with any of the infrastructure yourself. As soon as you start getting into kind of like a non-hosted solution or even some of the the uh, the like the other solutions that are out there, you have to start worrying about like, I mean, especially a hosting solution, you have to worry about like, okay, how do I set up a server so that I can uh, listen for requests to my database? How do I connect my server to my database? There's just like, it's not hard once you're used to it, but if you're already start just trying to learn something new, to me, Superbase is like the easiest way to get set up. Um, the one little asterisk I would, I would add on that is like, depending on your database uh, schema, like if, if a relational data, so like Superbase is relational databases only, I think if you uh, have something that like lends itself more to document storage, like a non-relational database, then I would probably go with Firebase basically for the same reasons. It's like, it's a, it's kind of an all-in-one solution. All you need is a, is like client, uh, library to, to hook up to it and an account with either Google or Superbase and you're off and running and, um, they just make it really easy. Uh, and they have auth included too. Both of those libraries have auth included. So I know it's, I'm, I'm going to say it's maybe not the most popular uh, opinion to use like Firebase or, or Superbase. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be like, no, you should use, you know, uh, what's the, uh, like, uh, Fauna DB or, or, um, what's, there's a new one that just came out. I can't remember. Terso, I think. Uh, anyway. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's my, that's, that's use, my thought. Use a novelty token or like I, I, uh, I reject the novelty token on whatever those are. I think yeah. like if 8 trillion people have made a side app on Firebase and maybe less on Superbase. I actually haven't worked with Superbase, so I can't personally vouch for it. I could definitely personally vouch for Firebase because it can scale with you. Um, and it's just so easy to spin up. With side projects, it's got to be the path of least resistance. So if you're... We always end up. We always start aspirationally with side projects and end in despair, because you'll say like, "Ooh, you know what? This is going to be my chance to learn like X, 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 and X, and I'm going to like show everybody that I can do all this stuff." But this is my thought: is pick one thing that a side project is going to that you're going to learn from a side project. You will inevitably learn other stuff too, but pick one thing that's going to be a stretch for you. Everything else should be like your worn holster, you know, like the easy stuff that you can just get get up and running and Firebase and I'm assuming Superbase is similar, just gets you a database. Like don't, that shouldn't be the thing that you're worried about unless you're trying to like literally learn database stuff. 
And then that's its own thing. And then just make like a backend, then make an API. Don't have any other part of that side project, like just do the API. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that's a good answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as far as like getting getting up and running, uh, Firebase was the one I was using for a long time um, for exactly the reason you said. It's just so easy to just get up and running. Superbase, uh, I have found to be the exact same, if not even like a little bit easier. Um, so uh, it's great and I highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, another thing is like you can edit the tables like with their UI. Like, you know, if you get if you get into some like weird database schema migration stuff you need to do, because like that'll happen at the beginning. You're like, you know, you spend some time. Actually, this is maybe maybe one piece of advice. Spend a little bit of time like coming up with a good data model, because that's going to be that's going to help you in the long term is just kind of spend an extra like a little bit longer than you think thinking through what fields are going to need and everything, you know, what columns you're going to need. Um, cause, uh, well, I was going to say, cause like it, it can be hard to change that stuff later, but, uh, Superbase in some ways makes that pretty easy to change. Uh, if, if you find out it's not, not right for you. Um, yeah, it's, that's what I would say. And th- uh, with either of these solutions, I like to personally, I like to write a little, a little, uh, service module in, in, in front, just like a little layer that's kind of makes a little abstraction over whatever database you're using. So that that way, if you want to swap it out, you know, say you're like, oh, I want to use Firebase instead of Superbase or, oh, I've outgrown both of these and I want to move to a different solution. Having a layer that separates your front end from your back end uh, just makes that easier. I was actually going to say the same thing. Um, just a client like a you know client for your database one another easy way to do this with like an ORM or something like that if you want to go that route like uh, Prisma is a big famous one right now you can swap out your databases and it just works with migrations uh, that's something to think about something similar a lighter, even a lighter weight one's a nice thing to write for yourself though yeah uh, excellent should we uh, should we jump into this article yeah uh, thanks Michael for writing in yeah we appreciate it uh oh shoot it is <laughs> i still getting used to it folks still getting used to it we gotta we gotta we gotta just uh just real quick real quick evan what are you learning okay so we're we're reading an article that's uh like pretty hot article right now i think other people have posted the prime gene you said just did a video on this and people are reacting to it blah 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 so you know whatever we gotta add to the noise we did to be fair we didn't know all that people were doing all that before we got into it this article is called why i won't use Next.js." super clickbaity title from ken c Dodds. it's kind of his way uh yeah, this is I, published I, I saw him like post something that was like promoting this before he published it i was like this is so clickbaity and then i clicked on it i was like i agree with a lot of what he's what he's saying here (laughs) (laughs) when clickbaity goes right so uh first off kent dodds this is on uh epicweb.dev which is kent's newest course that he's released Kent is an educator. He's excellent engineer. He's produced a lot of the tools that we all use and love. If you don't know Kent Dodds, that's okay. You should you should come to know him if you're in front end. Um, wh- why I want to get into this real quick is that Kent is a proponent, and I think was one of the core maintainers, or rather like 
joined the team for Remix, which is a, a framework that competes with Next.js. So there is a bit of a disclosure, I think, that should happen before we get further into the article. Kent Dodds is writing, why I won't use Next.js. And he's up front in this article a lot about that. He's like, hey, I, I love Remix. I work for Remix. I'm not you know, trying to spend time flaming Next.js, but here's some reasons why basically he chooses Remix or rather why he wouldn't choose Next.js. And what I love about it is he actually started the article early saying like, this is not my way to um, focus on negative things. He actually says, I like to focus most of my time and attention on the positive side of software development. I'd much rather write a post titled why I use Remix and not why I don't use Next.js. But he's, he, he does have some things that he really wanted to cover. And in fact, this website itself is actually on Next.js. But he's got some things that he really wanted to cover. So the overall article, he's going to talk about why whatever you use, you're probably good. Next.js, Remix, you're probably fine. But he's going to get into some, some specific technical details about Next.js and the choices that they've made. And Next.js and the company behind them, Vercel, and their relationship with Meta and the React team. And why that this whole thing is starting to get a little bit murky and maybe not uh, creating the best outcome for developers, but maybe creating the best outcome for the companies uh, behind them. So we can probably start there. Yeah, that's that's a good place to start, actually, um, because I think that that line blurring uh, has been to me every Next.js release that gets more blurred. Like it, they they are. Uh, and he talks about this in the article, but but Next.js is using the Canary version of React, but uh, kind of packaging it up and um, and presenting it as kind of like the latest version of React, as the latest stable version, well, of Next.js. So, you know, Ken actually talks about that in this article. He talks about how that's he kind of says that as a bad thing. And I don't actually know that I agree that it's a bad thing for a, for a framework to like wrap up uh, a canary version and kind of take the hit, quote unquote, of if those APIs change, then the framework is going to be the one, you know, the people who are developing the framework are, are going to be the ones dealing with that fallout. But in this case, like, I think he has a point, which is which is that actually, I don't know that it's necessarily the, the maintainers of Next.js that are going to be dealing with the fallout. It's maybe potentially more likely the consumers of Next.js who are going to be dealing with the fallout, not be, not because they're going to have to worry about the internals of these experimental APIs that that React puts out. And React has been putting out experimental APIs for a long time. The context API was experimental for a long time before they made it part of the official API. But uh, what can happen is if React puts out some experimental API and then Next.js takes that API and creates a... Uh, a wrapper for it or like an API of their own. So like um, one example is like uh, uh, server, I mean, server components is the big one. They, they've they packaged that in their app router in Next.js's new app router. So, but what happens is if the, if the, um, the API, if the React API for server components changes, then Next.js is gonna need to either uh, encapsulate that change and, and like, not make a breaking change for their consumers or release a new major version. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of, uh, Kent's, it, we'll talk, I think more about that, about like major versioning a little bit later, but, uh, one of Kent C. Dodds's point is that, um, 
Next.js ha- has had kind of a lot of major versions over the course of their lifetime. Like they're at Next.js 13. They just announced Next.js 14. And I went back to look at uh, when those, you know, when version one started, I think, I think I saw that version one was in 2016, which means they've basically done two major versions a year uh, ever since yeah, their it's too, it's too inception. Many. Yeah. It's too many. And I think they have slowed down over the past couple of years, but still it's just, it's, it's a lot, like it's a lot for the consumers to keep up with. It's a lot for the users to keep up with. Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump in on that. The, the, Headline that this sort of falls under, there's a number of headlines in this article um, that this falls under sort of stability, I think, because um, you're talking about the Canary version of React and why that matters, because Next is not shipping. It's a bit weird. It's not like it's breaking. You know, you don't have stuff breaking because the the version is sort of built in that that risk is built into Next. But you touched on the other point, which is the risk is to the developer because then they're going to, if something changes, Next will release another major. And then you've got to go through and update the major, which isn't a, like, that's not a small thing uh, to update a, a Next major. And they actually, mm-hmm. uh, Kent talks about that too, is like, you know, the, the Next team at Vercel, they do a pretty good job of like shipping code mods and guides of how to get to, you know, 11 to 12, 12 to 13, 12, 13, whatever. But man, there's a cost there. It's like you want you don't want your framework to be changing all the time and releasing tons of new features all the time. It's cool, but it's also not cool. You kind of want your framework to be like the frame of your house. It's like that shouldn't move that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, it's just so much effort because it it your framework code literally touches every part of everything. So when that's changing, it's a big risk. Even if it's a lateral move, you don't have to change a feature or write a lot of code changes. You have to go through in my opinion, pretty extensive testing to change that version and ship that code out to production because you just don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's too much of a blast radius. So yeah, they next JS is just opting for uh, speed of delivery at this point. It feels like where they're like, we're getting new features out faster than everybody else. So use next JS, but that dovetails nicely into another section which is Actually, before we get, in, before yeah, we get yeah, into, go that, ahead, go. into that section. Yeah. I, I mean, even beyond the, the technical, the, basically the tech debt of like having a new major version that you have to upgrade to, there's also this like mental overhead that you have to go through of you've built a mental model around, you've built a mental model around how things work. Like when you're using react, you're sort of like expecting things to work in a certain way. Think about maybe when react changed from components to hooks, you had to update your mental model and uh, same thing with the Next.js pages router with com- compared to the new app router. Like you just have a different way that you have to think about things working, and that incurs a cost. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not like you um, have to sit down one day and and learn all this new stuff. Although you have to do that, but I mean, the the real cost is like when you're working day to day and you have to sort of think about, like actively think about your how you're thinking about the the project instead of just kind of like working in your own uh your, your own flow this in this this sort of api that you're used to um which you know that's not to say that projects can't change their apis it just says there is on top of the tech debt of of updating the breaking changes like you still you also have to um have to adjust your mental model there are big paradigm shifts to some of these majors like mm-hmm. 13 involves a that's like a lot of code change to go from the pages to the app directory and like 
uh, nested routing. Like it's like a, it's like a fundamental shift, which is cool. But then now they're going to 14. I would wager a lot of people haven't made it to 13 and actually taken advantage of yep. the app directory because it's such yeah. a big refactor. And then so what is the, what's the client benefit? Like any, any engineer that's working in a production team right now at a, at a company is like, has to justify the cost of their work. You know, you have to make a task for a ticket, whatever you call it, add some points and get it put into a sprint or a Kanban or whatever you use. I don't, you know, care, whatever, but you got to tell somebody that you're going to do something and you got to tell them why. And it's, it's a hard sell for me, particularly if it's like a high cost to say, I, which going from 12 to 13, in my experience right now, where I'm at is actually not a trivial move. And we'll talk more about that. So it's like, you have to justify the cost of moving the major and there's no real client benefit there. Like I'm not going to get faster load times going to 13. I'm not going to get a client impact going to 13. I'll get DevX improvements, I guess, with nested routing. And like maybe there's some things I could take advantage of with like layout and some things there. And maybe SWC works better or maybe it explodes my entire build. I don't know. Uh, so it's hard to justify. So that that is like a real cost that uh, Ken foils against Remix's strategy of really deliberate slow majors where they've only released two and they've got future flags so you can take advantage of new things in like patches and minors um, without going majors and you can choose to get ready for them. So when they do make the major over time, you know, it works. I'm not saying Remix is the way. I actually don't really have a lot of experience with Remix. But I do have a lot of experience with Next, and I have felt the pain of now moving um, from React or Next 8 all the way through 12, and I'm not at 13 yet where I'm at, but man, it hurts. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, yeah, speaking of Remix, it's kind of, you know, I felt like this article was light uh, it was a bit light on the remix talk which i appreciated because one of my, i think we've we've been a little bit disparaging in the past of how sort of self uh, uh self-promoting the people who have worked on remix ha- have been in the past but uh i th- honestly this article makes me want to revisit remix and like try it again uh, i it, this is not the only place i've recently been hearing a lot about remix i have some people who i know who have uh, decided to switch their tech stack to Remix, and I'm kind of like, all right, let me um, let me take another look at this. So the uh, the I think one of the best points that he makes. This was the one that I really found myself uh, like shaking my or uh, nodding my head to when I when I read the section was um, it's the section called the web platform, and basically the the point of this is that Next.js is wrapping up uh, the React APIs, and they are. Um, they are doing things in the Next.js way, which isn't necessarily the same thing as the way that the web, uh, you know, the kind of raw web way of doing things, especially the modern web. Like, um, f- so for example, like, you know, w- one of the examples they use is uh, is the request and response uh, objects like that are now web standard. Um, and Next.js kind of gives you their own primitives. Uh, another example, this was the one that uh, also raised a red flag for me, was like Next.js patches the global fetch function and they add caching to it. As soon as I saw that, I was like, wait, what What are they doing? What that? Uh, that's just like, uh, it just started, you know, ringing alarm, alarm bells in my head. Uh, similar to, you know, I, I thought about it similarly to uh, the Preact Signals episode that we did. Um, 
where we talked about how they patched they monkey patched um something i can't re- can't remember exactly what it was but they, oh they, um it was the they added in like a oh it was literally named like don't touch this or you'll yeah. get fired or something yeah. like that uh it was like a uh environment variable or something like that yeah and and, and, and they're like yeah. They, yeah so anyway do, doing that stuff is like you know it's probably going to be fine but like uh, you know, it's, I think one of his points with regards to that is like, when you do stuff like that, and when you make a decision as a framework to do something like that, what it means is that the end user can't go to the fetch, you know, MDN docs for fetch. They have to go to the next JS docs for fetch. And that's like sort of the, the surface level, uh, that's kind of like the most salient way you can think about what happen, what happens when, a, when a, a framework decides not to just sort of expose the platform underneath, but rather like kind of make up their own API. And that's fine. Like play, frameworks are, are free to do that. React does that. You know, React started out by uh, kind of having their own way to think about components and, and like kind of abstraction over HTML. And like, you can't say that React is just HTML because it's not, it's something different and you have to learn the React APIs. Um, There's a slight difference there though. Sorry, I got excited. Yeah, There's a slight difference. I got to jump in because React is a new concept. It's a component. It's a way to describe user interface declaratively. It's a component library. There's going to be, there's something net new there. Next is a framework to serve React. Next is closer to the web platform. It's like, how do I do routing? How do I do fetching? How do I handle my data? Um, How do I serve views, you know, at certain routes? That is, that's just internet stuff, you know? So it's frameworks, like web frameworks feel like they should be far less magic because it's, there's, there's already like very standardized well-trodden paths for the world. And that to me, they're just different. I get, I get it. Like React is building an, a whole new ecosystem and a whole new corpus of articles and all this stuff. But it gets weird to me when you stack on top of that, your web, your, your framework then starts to have its own magic as well. And then there's just a lot of magic. So you have to keep going to the corpus of Next data and going back to the fact that Next updates like every three weeks joke, every six months you get a new major. It's actually pretty difficult if you're not on the most current hotness to pin the right docs. So when you're going and searching for help, you've got to know where in the life cycle of Next you are, uh, what version you're on, and that matters as well. So it just becomes, it just becomes more and more difficult. Uh, and I don't, again, I use next every day and I'm not like dumping on next, but it's a rare opportunity because this is like, if one of the greatest influencers in, you know, the internet land talked about negatively about TypeScript and then you could tee off on it. It's like, yeah, we all use it and you want a chance sometimes to say how it hurts because everybody's always ever talked about how amazing it is. So yeah. it's just kind of nice to get a chance to be like, oh yeah, let's point out some of its flaws to have a, a reasoned discussion about should be continued to support it as we are. Definitely. And uh, I think we've talked before on the show about how we like to deflate the hype balloon a lot of times, but like we've also talked about next JS a lot before and like in very glowing terms, I've had a lot of positive experience in the past with next, next JS. 
I just think that, yeah, Kent makes some really good points about uh, about some of the things that I think in the back of my mind, there's always been this little itch that's been like, mm, but like, you know, there's these things about Next.js and, and oh, and it's like primarily works with Vercel and like, oh, look, it doesn't actually really work. It used to work with these other infra, uh, you know, infra setups, but like they've kind of gone away from that. And there's just all, there's a bunch of these little things that are kind of like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like it has so much hype around it and yeah, it's always just good to kind of like look at the other side of things. Um, uh, just one more thought about this, this uh, section of the web platform. <clears throat> Kent mentions how, uh, you know, there are kind of two ways to wrap a platform. You can wrap it in the way that he uses React Testing Library and Enzyme uh, as his example, but he's also like kind of pointing out the difference between Next.js and, and Remix. Um, React Testing Library and Enzyme to me is a really good example because that was like a, a clear place where he really did. And he he's the one who built React Testing Library, but it's a fantastic library. And like, uh, you know, par part of what makes it so good is that uh, it, it's not... Um, it, it is exposing, you know, I mean, I'll just say it how he puts it. It's, it's exposing the, the platform. It's exposing HTML. You're working with the HTML elements rather than learning an API that will not transfer the next time you, if you want to go to a different, yes. different library, yep. you know? Um, and not only that, like, I think the thing that really did it for me was like, I know more about accessibility, uh, about HTML because I've used React Testing Library. Like React Testing Library is uh, not just like wrapping the platform; it's like uh, it, it's lifting the platform up to say, like, look, there's all this good stuff that's already built into the web. This just gives you an opportunity to use it in the context of React, that where you're like used to using things. Hundred percent. I, I would call that. There's two things. We actually did an episode kind of like this. Basically, I think we talked about the pit of success. I don't know if we talked directly about it or did the article itself, um, but it was in, maybe in the context of HTMX and hyperscript or something like that. But it's this idea. It's a, like you can you can write your whatever library platform something as a force multiplier or not. And the force multiplier is like by doing this, I'm enhancing or reinforcing other skill sets that are, will, will be helpful to me and not diverting my attention to learn something specific. And you're going to have to learn something specific, but testing library is an awesome example. Um, and, and even in next, we call out you know, that we overload fetch. Uh, he also calls out that like next has custom ways to handle requests, headers, and cookies, which is true. I've had to deal with all of that where if something like remix exposes, um, you know, a fetch request and a response. You could just like handle web fetches literally with the request and response. And then you do stuff with those, which means you're learning more if you go to have to work on your next, if you have to work on your node server, it's like <clears throat> you're working with requests and responses there. So you're reinforcing so your broader knowledge of the area that you work in, as opposed to I have to learn something highly specific in the docs for Next.js to do something, which as soon as you leave Next.js or they change their API in the next major, it's like, oop, that's gone. So all that time goes away. Um, yeah, that's like, that's extremely attractive to me. And that's the pit of success article is like, you want to make it easy, easy to do the right thing and then have an escape hatch that's like easy to get to. Um, it doesn't blow up everything else. And that's sort of like, if I have to work with requests and response, it's helping me do the right thing. But if I don't know what I'm doing or I need to do something unique, 
that I could actually just go to the docs, like there's a million of them, the MDN docs for request HTTP request, HTTP response, and I can write something around that and and get out and do what I need to do. Next is really hard to do that in because it's an opinionated framework that obscures a lot of this stuff for you. Um, I, I, I want to like immediately launch into the next point though, but I want to stop. No, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Which um, this brings up the next section. And I love this section is again about the magic, about Next.js making these choices to I don't want to say over-engineer, there's reasons, but just like extra engineer things. The example that Ken then brings up is um, Next.js was having trouble with static build times for when you use Next.js as a static site generator. So instead of using stale while revalidate cache control directives, they invented a feature called incremental static regeneration to do the exact same thing, which is like if you're thinking about stale while revalidate cache control policies, it's that you can reuse a stale response for uh, responses fresh for like seven days or whatever you set it. And then it becomes stale, but you can still, if you hit it, you get you get the asset back and then it's going to go revalidate against the server. That's literally what incremental static regeneration is. But to do it in XJS, you have to like go to read a bunch of docs and do all this stuff and then it might work and it's not exactly what you'd expect. So if you need to tweak it, you got to go like read exactly how to do it in XJS. And they even, Ken says this, they point out in their own docs, it accomplishes the same thing as stale while revalidate cache control directives. And a cache control directive is like, you can go read the docs on that one. You can tweak it yourself. It's a header. Right. Yeah. 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 It's exactly. It's, it's, it's just a header and like, uh, Headers, you know, the the more you dig into, uh, well, I, I'm not even gonna I feel like that's not even a point maybe worth making. You know what? Uh, you know what's funny is stale while stale while revalidate is like, uh, that was the hardest phrase for me to understand. You talked about what was that one that you mentioned a couple of weeks ago where you were like, it doesn't make any sense to me. These words put together. It was uh, it was um, interaction to next paint. I feel the yeah. same way. <laughs> I feel the same way yes, about stale yes, yes, while yes. revalidate. Or at least I used to. At this point, I'm like, okay, I get it. But like the uh the, there was that um there there's that fetching library, which I really like actually called SWR, and it stands for stale while revalidate. But like it's hard to say, but it's beyond the fact it's hard to say. It's like, what do those words mean together? Well, what they mean together is like, okay, uh if I'm a if I'm a uh a, a a cache. If I'm a cache sitting in between you making a request and the the resource over here, I am going to give you the stale uh, response first. I'm going to send that back immediately while I go revalidate your request and see if there's anything new, and then I'll give that to you. Uh, so that was just a little little side note on stale while revalidate because it took me a long time to really kind of grasp what those three words were saying together. um yeah i know and then it, you have to like re-grasp it when Next.js launches their hot new feature called right. incremental static regeneration which is a whole bunch of confusing words put together and yep. i love that they basically repackaged a caching header like this is like this amazing you know linchpin feature for for next 12 is like we've invented this whole new thing <laughs> called incremental static regeneration and I actually remember using that phrase in an interview 
because I thought it was really impressive and it sounds really cool as part of a <laughs> systems design interview of how I would decrease like client side latency. I was like incremental static regeneration and blah, blah, blah. And man, it's just like, that's, there's nothing new there. There, <laughs> there's nothing new there. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so uh, I had one other thought while I was reading this article, which is that, um, you know, he, he does talk a little bit about, about Remix. Like, you know, he, he, I like that he makes the point up front about like, I don't normally speak this negatively, but this article is like a quick way for me to respond to people when they say, why don't you use Next.js? He can just now say like, go read the article like that. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate that because I, I, you know, we've all, I think, been in the position of like answering the same question over and over and over. You wish that you could just like write a thing and have people be like, go read that. Anyway, he doesn't talk too much about Remix in this article, but one of the things he brings up is the other co-founders uh, of Remix. Um, the, I, I'm actually like still unclear as to whether or not Kent C. Dodds is a co-founder of Remix or not, but uh, Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson were the are the two other, or, or I should say the two co-founders of, of uh, Remix. And they are behind some other projects that have been a, around for a long time and have been very stable. And so like, that's a really good Router. track record. Yeah. So React Router is, is the, is their probably most well-known one. Michael Jackson is also behind Unpackage. I don't know if you knew that, but like he built Unpackage, the, uh, the, um, what's called like the, uh, you can just where you, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. It's, I guess, a repository for, uh, JavaScript bundles yep so it's you, like cdn right I think. yeah so uh, like it's, yeah it's, instead of uh npm um installing something you can put a reference to the unpackaged version so um so yeah they're both behind uh projects that have been around for a long time and and kent c dodds points out that i think he points out in this that react router um ha is you know it's been around i think since 2011 and it's on it's only on version like six or something like that they do very uh, very seldom do they do they roll out a new major version, um, and I don't know. I just think there's something to that. There's something to um, a couple of people who have a proven track record of understanding what stability looks like in uh, in a system, in a in a framework or a library, and like you know having that um, that ex past experience to draw on. So one thing I, it's important to think about for me with Next.js is they optimize for customers of Vercel. And what I mean by that is like, if you're in the Vercel ecosystem, meaning you use them for your deploys, uh, you've got all their like bells and whistles, that you don't really have to think about a lot of the stuff that makes Next.js hard. And when you have to upgrade to, react, uh, to your next version of Next, you do that and then you just poop hit the deploy button and bingo, bango, it goes wherever you need it to and does the stuff and they give you all your whatever logging and all these things. Uh, if you don't though, if you don't use Vercel, that's when a lot of the, the debt adds up extra wide. So it's like, I have to, um, you know, I'm shipping many, many major versions. So I'm constantly having to uh, like reconfigure things as Next makes choices in uh, config and build outputs and all sorts of stuff like, Famously, from 11 to 12, they got rid of the serverless target for for uh, your build deploy, your deploy build config step. So you can't, you no longer could like output a serverless build, uh, which then broke a famous third party library, um, which is called 
Next serverless, which allowed basically allowed you to deploy uh, at AWS Edge and other, you know, or Lambda rather, AWS Lambda and like other serverless uh, deploy targets. This is a huge killer for me and really is a struggle because Next.js uh, is difficult to deploy anywhere but Vercel. They say it's not, it's not true. It is. It's they, they, they do not want you to deploy or use Next.js outside of Vercel. And that's not them saying that, it's what they do. They have consistently broken deploy targets. Uh, anything other than Vercel, they've consistently broken deploy targets. They own that that environment end-to-end. If you're on Vercel, they can change a deploy target and change the infrastructure that it runs on so that they just, you know, you go to Next 13, it works out of the box in your Vercel deploy. If not, you have to do some real gymnastics to make that work, particularly with serverless deploys. If you're doing static site generation and deploying to something like S3 with CloudFront in front of it or Lambda at Edge or whatever, uh, your auth is going to, like we've, we've had auth breaks, we've had um, deploy targets break. Like I said, we had to like spend weeks building custom uh, build manipulators, like output manipulators for our build to get Next12 to work uh, with Edge. And that's like a, that sucks. Or you can use you know, you have to like things have popped up like open next and uh, is an open source version of like trying to just get next build output on serverless, uh, particularly AWS Lambda. Amplify exists as an AWS closed source version of that of like helping you get next outside of Vercel. This is a like, that's a problem to me that it's, it's freaking React code. Like it's JavaScript. It's really a big bummer to me that it becomes yeah. so hard to deploy what is essentially a React router app somewhere. Uh, you know, if you're doing static site generation, if you're deploying to serverless, that is not a complicated output or shouldn't be a complicated output, but it is complicated to work with. And that's a, that's like becoming a deal breaker for me, if I'm honest. Um, how difficult it is now getting to 13 is going to be hard again. It's not a trivial task, so... That's just a bummer for me. That was like my rant about that because I, I've I had to pay this cost so much that and it, you get nothing for it. You don't like you don't get extra cool stuff. You literally just get your app still works, um, which is which sucks. Yeah, uh, the the place where you get the extra cool stuff is when you use the next the the latest next features, which are relying on the the React Canary features or the React experimental features. Um, What's interesting with that is that Next.js and React, the teams work so closely together now, and they have been for a long time. I remember uh, a couple of years ago reading about uh, how uh, Next.js was working with React, and they were kind of using it as a way to to say, "Hey, like, don't you don't need to worry about when we do release server components." Or I think maybe it was when they when they re- did their initial server components release, and they said, "You don't need to worry about uh, uh, about like." this breaking with react because like we've been working really closely with the react team and like that's a good sign you know that's good when you're when you're building something you want to to see that it's just kind of i think this article got me thinking about the potential downsides of that which is that like well you know who hasn't been working with the react team is any of the other frameworks that are uh that are uh you know that are using react that are kind of like the react frameworks and so uh, it just gives Next.js a leg up when when you're working directly with the people who are doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the React side. Um, and that means that 
if Next.js is the one with the latest stable features, then like everybody's going to migrate to Next.js. And I think that's probably the, the plan, but like I can't you know speak. I mean, but that's like uh, a, a clear incentive. If you know, if you want to use the next features, Next.js is there and you can just go use them uh, right now. Um, but I think it de-incentivizes other uh, alternatives. And, and so then that just continues to blur the line with React. I mean, we talked about that a little bit more. Um, and consolidate uh, people into what is like a unified ecosystem of Next and React. Yep. And that is, you know, the React team, thank you for React, over the last few years hasn't necessarily had like the most wonderful track record. Um, and Kent calls us out, like they might, they maybe have been less collaborative uh, with everybody else, like you pointed out. Uh, what's his name? Lens Werbertronic from Redwood um, and Apollo called like they have ma- th- those maintainers have issues with this because it seems like Next is just getting unparalleled access to the React team because they're literally like next door to each other, and they they then get to work faster to make it easier for each other, which isn't necessarily good for the web. Like that's not necessarily good. It's just sort of like browser consolidation, right? You don't want like your biggest rendering framework and your biggest UI library to become the same or under the same roof because then it inhibits competition. It's really hard once job, like job seeker, or job uh, creators, like big companies say, Ooh, well, do you, are you a next developer? Like I said, that's probably going to be the next thing. It's like, now you see a bunch of job postings for React you have for many years. I would argue it's probably going to be like, oh, we use Next and React. Like, are you those? Do you know Next? Yeah, not, that's funny. Ooh, yeah. You know, yeah. In, uh, in the Prime Engines video, he said something. To, it was almost the exact same thing. It was like, um, you know, nowadays you have people who say like, oh, I learned React before I learned JavaScript. And I could see a, a time in the not too distant future where people say, oh, I learned Next before I learned JavaScript. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, But yeah, I I get it. And there's this sort of like fake, I shouldn't say fake, but um, a developer advocate on the React team, Matt Carroll, reached out to Kent. He posted this in the article and said like, ooh, he reached out to him. And that the by reaching out, it was literally him going, tweeting Kent and saying, I'd love to hear your concerns if you're open to it. It's like, read the article, bro. Uh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> they're right here. Uh, it's such like a, I don't know the word for that, but it's like a f- fake olive branch or something like that. Yeah. You're not going to change anything. You're just saying like, oh, I'm going to make you feel better by asking you this. So it's, this is just gets a little bit weird to me that these teams are super tight. Um, and I think we all know I have, don't have as much love for React as I used to. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to watch this all consolidate, especially because Vercel is a for-profit company. It's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, again, we've talked about this a bunch. It's new to it's new-ish to this space of web development, it's, which has always been sort of open and is getting sort of close where you have a lot of for-profit companies moving in with like Apollo, uh, Vercel, uh I don't know, probably other ones. Remix, I guess, is a for-profit company, but not probably very profitable, that own these sort of whole ecosystems of development, deploy, build, all this stuff. And like the incentives get very murky to me um, with all of it. Yeah. Um, I think I have one last thing to say, which is, uh, so at the end of the article, 
Uh, Kent mentions that Lee Robinson, who is, uh, I think now, I don't remember his title now because it, I think he got an upgrade since I last, he, he was developer relations, uh, I think head of developer relations at Vercel. Um, now he is, well, I'm not sure it's, he, he's very high up in the, in the DevRel, uh, space at Vercel. He's kind of the face. I always think of him as like, besides Guillermo Rausch, Lee Robinson is kind of the face of Next.js. And, uh, and basically like Kent says, Lee wrote a, um, uh, a response article and like, that's great. Like, you know, I, I think it's really good that we have both sides of the story. Cause I, like, I, I would hate for, uh, for anybody to write an article like this and have it get so much attention and have it drown out any kind of, uh, other, um, uh, other, uh, dissenting, uh, opinions. Um, that said, like I read through the Lee Robinson article and like, I, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't really, I didn't find too much super compelling. I think he makes a few points. Um, but, uh, I don't know, to me, the, the, the Kenzie Dodds article is, um, he just has a lot of good points. Yeah. I mean, to round it up, uh, next sort of experiments on their users with like building in, uh, react canary features into app router and calling it stable. Um, there's a lot of magic in next, like they override fetch. They make you use sort of bespoke methods for things that are exposed to you in the web platform through HTTP. Um, they add, uh, some complexity to basic tasks. It's like, you want to mess with headers. You want to mess with cookies. You got to do something unique. That's kind of a bummer. It's not necessarily the most stable platform they've released now, almost 14 major versions in like five years for six years, seven years. I don't know, about two a year. That's a lot. Um, they, there's a lot of vendor lock-in. You, you don't necessarily have like interop. If you want to just walk away from next or deploy to a different target, they make it pretty difficult to do. Um, capability wise though, there's no real difference probably like you're still going to do great things with next and you're going to do great things with remix. You probably do great things with whatever else. That's not the problem. We're talking about the details, uh, the rest of the details. Did I miss anything from my Cooper's roundup corner? Yeah, I don't think so. I, yeah, I think that's like a good, that's a good place to end too, which is, uh, and actually Lee Robinson in his article uh, concludes that this too, which is basically p- calling back to Kent C. Dodd's first point, which is like, you're probably going to be fine. Whatever you're using, it's probably going to be good for you. You know? Yeah. Um, it's good to remember that because we get so bogged down in the details sometimes about like, oh, but this one can do, can do uh, server components and you can do like all the latest things, but like also you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Yeah. It's just, that's ner- it's the nerdy way. I remember doing yep. this with my Pokemon deck years ago. I was like, ooh, but if I add him, it's going to be great. It's just, that's our way. But yeah. It's, it's optimizations. A, it's once you get to opti- a certain yes. point, you just, you know, you want to optimize. Maximize. Yeah. Yep. All right, cool. Um, well, we're now on to our next section, which you actually said at the beginning of this one, you said, what are you uh, learning instead of I what know. are you reading? So oh, now we're oh. going to say, what are you reading? What are you learning? Still got to still got to splice those sound effects together. Uh, let's see. I think you, yeah, you did the what am I reading? So I will do what am I learning? I am learning. Call back to I'm. It might be your very first episode. I'm learning 
HTMX. I'm getting back into HTMX. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Primogen, but this is all the Primogen's fault. Like Primogen is super into HTMX and it just made me think like, I'm just going to check it out again. I'm just going to see what's going on. HTMX seems like it's having a, uh, I want to say Renaissance, but I don't know if it, if it ever had like a, you know, a Renaissance implies that it's like a rebirth. So I, well, you would know, Mister. I was just in. If, in I was. The, I would the say the cradle of the <laughs> the, uh, the 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 youth vernacular for this is a moment. It's having a moment. Yes, it's having a moment. Uh, HTMX does seem to be having a moment, and um, that's kind of cool. It's like a different different way of doing things. I think we were relatively disparaging of HTMX uh, in in our uh, last episode. We talked about maybe going back and doing uh, another episode because because uh, you know I'm I'm getting more into it and I'm the more I learn about it the it's just kind of it is interesting and I think the thing that we sort of uh, not glossed over the, maybe got got confused about in the first episode that we did about it was I think we uh, confuse or we didn't understand kind of the distinction between HTMX and HyperScript because those are two things that are written I think by the same person and they are meant to work together, but you don't need one to do the other. And HTMX as a library is really interesting. Uh, you know, one of the other things that we were a little bit disparaging about is, uh, and maybe here's where I'll get into the, like, what am I learning about? Um, so I'm, I'm building a little HTMX app. I'm trying to build it so that it's like big enough, complex enough that I'm going to run into some of the, some of the, uh, you know, edge cases or kind of like things that you would do in a relatively comp complex web app. Um, the, the, the video that I watched that got me started uh, looking back at it was one where the Primogen uh, watches like a video by somebody who's from France. I think he like, he works for a company in France and they built an app in HTMX. They basically refactored a react app to HTMX and uh, it got me a little bit excited about it. It was just, it's, uh, it's super lightweight. The, the weird thing to me is like working in templates, but maybe we'll talk about that again in a, in a future episode, but that's what I'm learning is HTMX. Nice. I love, uh, revisiting older topics. Actually, mm -hmm. now that we're more than a year in, we could probably go back and look at things again. I actually, now I want to do another TypeScript episode because as I told you, I had a hallucination in Italy, I think. And uh, <laughs> now, now I've changed my opinion a little bit, so we could probably revisit that one. Uh, we'll have to get Scott K back on, back yes, on the show. <laughs> yeah, we'll have Scott K. Um, that's really cool. Uh, I actually have talked to quite, I've talked to a few people about HTMX recently. I know somebody using it in production and they ran into some interesting edges with it so maybe we should revisit the topic mm, yeah i'm from curious like to a hear production point of view yeah yeah uh what are you learning yeah so i'm still on my um you know ai kick these days uh i think last time we talked i was talking about retrieval augmented generation uh maybe i think probably i think that was my rag phase so now um learning something called um Lang Lang Chain. It's hard for me to say that. Lang Chain is sort of like a. It's like Next.js for uh, LLMs. It is a Lang Chain is like a framework, uh, open source framework for simplifying development for working with large language models. Um, so it allows you to literally chain language models together, chain 
components together. So like uh, you want to build a chat bot or something like that, uh, but you want it to have real-time access to certain information. You could use Langchain to uh, connect uh, like GPT-3, large language model, to a weather database or something like that and then get that information in real time and process it with the large language model and then give that to your customer. And it just simplifies all those chaining of language models and other models and widgets together. Um, so it's like a bridge. It just makes a bridge to make more responsive, like say chat bots, for instance, or other things like that. Uh, it just makes it easier to develop those, those solutions rather than just sort of like raw models. Uh, you know, what you see with GPT, chat GPT, like what you all know, as chat GPT is what would be an output of something like Langchain. It's a chatbot. You know, you're actually you're you're using a bunch of tools strapped together that that like get to a large language model GPT three or GPT four. Cool. That sounds uh, sounds interesting. I've I've heard about uh, Langchain. I have not really done any research into it. So um, yeah, that sounds sounds like an interesting thing to be learning. Gen AI, Gen AI. So if you just say that, you just people give you money. Right, <laughs> so here we are, Gen AI. But that's it. Nice, very good. And now it's time to sail away on the Good News Cruise. Did I sell? bored or or calm when i said that because i feel like i'm i was going for calm but i think it came off bored yeah i was borderline it was borderline <laughs> i was going to talk about it after the show you're just like yeah good news good, good news time man. for the good news you sound like a an npr radio host at like two in yeah. the morning you know it's a borderline int- it's both calm <laughs> and tired should i introduce our show like that next time welcome back to another episode <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. Uh, like an RMV employee. Yep. Um, okay. You went first for what are you learning? So I'll go I did. first for what, good news. What's your good news? All right. Uh, my good news hails all the way from Canada. And it's that a millionaire has built 99 tiny homes to cut homelessness in his community and even provides on site jobs for the people in the community to build more homes. Um, so, caveat. I really hope this isn't one of those stories where like the millionaire behind this is a super dirt bag and this is really bad. I'm going to take <laughs> it at face value. Um, this uh, Canadian entrepreneur made some tech company. I don't know what it does uh, and sold it for like eight figures and realized that homelessness in his area uh, of New Brunswick city of Fredericton. That's a whole, I don't That sounds fake, but it is real. <laughs> I looked, I looked it up. It is. I've been there on um, GeoGuessr. Have you really? Mm-hmm. I actually don't doubt that you're a big G, I guess you guy. Um, he said there's like a bunch, uh, you know, a lot of homelessness, like tons and tons of homelessness. So he said, I'm going to use my millions. And he made a factory to churn out tiny homes that have like a, there's a full kitchen. They're not crappy. They're nice. They've got solar panels on the roof. They've got a little deck out front. You can sit on, you've got a bedroom, you got a kitchen, bathroom, et cetera. And they're making one every four days. And he's making 12 neighbors gated. He's making a gated community that's currently has 99 homes in an enterprise center to get people into the factory to build more homes. Um, so I think this is this is pretty cool. It's like a $12 million investment, I think. Um, 
and seems like the, you look at the guy's face. He looks like he's just trying to do good in his community. And it, it's all local to the community. The building is happening local. They're, you know, they're putting the houses in local. Local people are getting the houses. So it seems like a pretty cool way to spend your money to really improve the area directly around you for the people living there. Nice. That's it. That's my good news. That's great. That's great. Uh, my good news comes all the way from Kenya, another place I've been on GeoGuessr. Uh, so this, the headline is, of this article is Farm in Kenya First to Produce Fossil-Free Fertilizer on Site. That's oh, a lot of Fs. I just noticed how many Fs. I was going to say, title. you nailed that though. <laughs> um, so uh, fertilizer is, uh, is a known, uh, you know, it, it is not, pr- producing fertilizer is not good for the environment. It says um, globally, the climate impact of ammonia production rivals that of air travel. Um, so it basically it releases a lot of, uh, of heat trapping gas. Um, this small fertilizer plant in Kenya, uh, it's by a U.S. startup called Talus Renewables. Uh, it uses solar power to strip hydrogen from water, and then the liberated hyd- hydrogen will bond with nitrogen to form liquid ammonia. So it's uh, it is a fertilizer plant that is solar powered and using water. It is uh, it is not using uh, fossil fuels to produce ammonia. Uh, and this sounds like, again, taken on face value, this sounds like good news. Uh, if this can be kind of like proven out and, and, um, and, uh, other places can start using this. Dang. Well, that's super cool. Um, we should also revisit some of our previous good news things and see if they like came through yet. Remember oh, that? that's a good idea. Someone wanted to build like a solar panel array in space. We should yeah. go back and see if they did that one. Well, probably where not. Are they now? <laughs> where we should do it. Where are they now? Good news cruise. Uh, where did they cruise to? Oh and, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really cool. Like that could that can make a big impact, obviously. Yeah. All right. Well, uh you wanna you wanna uh wrap us up here? Yes, at a crisp one hour and two minutes of runtime. Um yeah, thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the podcast and for writing in. Again, Michael, thank you for that. And please, anybody else, write us emails, write a suggestion, go to any episode. You'll see an utterances instance for that where you can uh, log into GitHub. Don't worry, it's not a scam. And you can leave comments where we'll respond back to you pretty quickly, I'd say. like we're, We love talking to people from the show, ask us questions, whatever, uh, and we'll get involved. Uh, if you want to hear us do an episode on something specific, go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions and just go ahead and drop that in there. We'll probably do it because, man, we're always looking for things <laughs> to cover. <laughs> um, so, yeah, give us that. And also, uh, please give us five stars uh, on your podcatcher of choice. We're in pretty much all of them. Even better, though, would be to tell a friend because we like we don't advertise this thing. We're not on social media. We're a couple of funny duddies. Uh, so we don't, we're not like on the Twitter being like, listen to our episode now. Uh, we just rely on you folks to tell other folks and bring, you know, bring your friends to the episodes. So we'd love if you keep doing that. Absolutely. Anything to add, Joe? Uh, anything to add? I would just say, uh, I hope you liked the episode. If you didn't like that, if you really disagree with us, go shout at us. Uh, Evan just told you how with the place, all the places you can do that, go leave us a comment, say you got this wrong and, uh, and we'll engage in a discussion about it. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, that's it. I hope you have a great week and we will see you back here next week. See you next week.